New York is one of the most photographed cities in the world. Amateur and professional photographers alike have long found inspiration in the Big Apple. Hi, I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape. Alice Austin was one of the nation's earliest and most prolific female photographers. She was one of the first women that went outside the confines of a studio and out onto the streets to shoot photographs. More on Staten Island native Alice Austin coming up. But first, Todd Webb has been called the best mid-century photographer you've never heard of. That's because he's not nearly as well-known as some of his predecessors and contemporaries, like Edward Weston and Bernice Abbott. A new exhibit at the Museum of the City of New York aims to change that. It's called A City Scene, Todd Webb's Post-War New York, 1945-1960. to I recently had the chance to see the exhibit and talk to a couple of folks behind it. My name is Sean Corcoran. I'm the curator of this exhibition. I'm the curator here at the Museum of the City of New York. My name is Betsy Evans-Hunt, and I was a great friend of the Webbs, and I now run the Todd Webb Archive. Betsy, how exciting. This is really a homecoming for Todd Webb. Absolutely. His first show was in 1946. Put together, I have to say, in about three or four months, um, Beaumont Newhall and Alfred Stieglitz really helped um, get him here to, to the museum. And so we're 70 years hence. And the show itself has some photographs in it that were in the original show, the actual photographs. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty wonderful. And we, we have a list of the photographs, and um, there's a lot of overlap. So it's fantastic. Sean, how much did you know about Todd Webb before getting involved with this exhibit? Uh, I was pretty familiar with his work, actually. Um, and, of course, I was most familiar with his uh, 6th Avenue panorama. That's just such a, a powerful picture of life in the city at that time. But um, there's, there's maybe half a dozen or so New York pictures that I think are fairly well-known amongst photo curators. And, and then, of course, um, beyond that, he's also pretty well-known for his portraits of George O'Keefe. Todd Webb, not a native New Yorker, Betsy. No, he grew up in Detroit, and he had a whole career before this. He um, was a stockbroker, and then he lost all his money, and then he went west and bought a burrow, panned for gold during the beginning of the Depression, and did some odd jobs in San Francisco, got back to Detroit in the mid-30s. Still wasn't a photographer at that point, and he joined the Chrysler Camera Club, along with Harry Callahan, and they had a workshop with Ansel Adams in 1941 that changed both of their lives. So he came to the city um, in 45, and um, it just was, it was his Valhalla. He just loved it. So, What brought him to New York? Um, well, it was to, to you know, pursue his career in photography. So he joined the Navy and was a photographer um, down in New Guinea, actually. And then he had met Alfred Stieglitz through Ansel Adams in the about 1942, and so he really wanted to pursue um, taking photographs in the city, so it was just that was his, his next career move. What years are represented in this exhibit? Um, the, the exhibition is from uh, the first, one of the first pictures is uh, Winter View um, from 1945 on, along the 3rd Avenue L, and some of the last pictures are around his, the home he lived on, St. Luke's uh, Place in Greenwich Village in 1960. You referenced the 3rd Avenue L. He liked to take pictures of the elevated train. Yeah, the 3rd Avenue L was one of his, um, I would say, like there's a few places he went back to again and again, and the 3rd Avenue L was one of them. Um, I I think it was um, a place where he could 
take pictures of the city from various angles that, to give the city a different look, a, a, you know, a way of picturing the city that wasn't possible. Because the Third Avenue L at that point was the last elevated train in the city, um, so it was, you know, unlike anything else uh, available at the time. And he captured a piece of New York City history because, again, that Third Avenue L is no longer there. Absolutely, yeah. And he just loved Third Avenue and all the shops on Third Avenue. He just was one of his favorite places. He loved Harlem, where he lived, with Harry Callahan and Harry Callahan's wife, and then uh, for a short time, um, and then he had the apartment to himself. But um, and he also loved the Lower East Side, downtown. Just and he would wander around. And as I was saying to you earlier. It, the, the shots, because he's working large format, have a different sort of more respectful um, stance to them. And they also are more composed because he could only really carry around five or ten pieces of film with him because film was scarce and expensive. So he really took his time with the time of day and what he would want to photograph. So. What kind of equipment did he use? Sean can talk to you about that. The, the camera he used most often was a 5 by 7 Deerdorf, uh, which is... Um, you know, you need a tripod, you, you put your camera on top of the tripod, and, it, and, it, and it's a slower process. You look through a ground glass, and you compose your picture. Uh, later on in the summer, he got a speed graphic, which is kind of known as, like, the press camera of the, the 40s and 50s. The the best-known people well, is, like, Ouija or, you know, like those those big handheld cameras. And those were a little faster, so you could take pictures of people more easily, um, movement a little more easily. But most of them are those two cameras. And then a little later on, he got an 8x10 uh, view camera, which was also a Deerdorf. And, and those are what he made the, um, the 6th Avenue panorama with. That equipment was not light, right? It was quite heavy to carry around. No, no. In, in fact, um, and it's funny, he, he mentions, you know, he's 40 years old when he moved to New York, and, and he mentions uh, that um, he still feels young and that he could um, live in cramped quarters with um, Harry Callahan and Eleanor because they still were young. Um, but these, this equipment was, you know, upwards of 20, 30 pounds, um, Plus awkward, you know, a big box for the camera, the tripod. So, yeah, moving around the city would not have been easy. And the funny thing is, he, in, in 1955, when he got a Guggenheim, he actually went across country walking uh, with, with an 8x10 view camera, which is kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah, he had a number of different cameras, but yeah, he just, he, uh, he was very much old school in that regard. What was most enlightening about what you read in his journal? Um, well, just what comes across is his really his love of life and his willingness to really try everything. And he he also was just extremely dedicated when as as he became a photographer to being true to his art. So he obviously as a photographer you have to have jobs doing other things. And so he worked for Fortune magazine and he worked for um, Roy Stryker doing the Standard Oil project and then later on for the Marshall Plan in Europe. But he was, it was always at the top of his mind that he didn't want to mix the two. He wanted to stay true. So that, he was just a very... Um, so what comes across is just his, uh, his honesty and, um, yeah, his completely without guile, just lovely guy. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a humbleness that comes across uh, in what he was trying to accomplish with his photographs. To me, what's most remarkable about his pictures is... Even when there aren't people in his photographs, it's all about 
the people who live in the city. It's, there's a human quality to even, a, you know, he makes a doorway um, have the presence of the people who live there. And, and that's what really attracted me to his work. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's remarkable. What are among your favorite photographs in the exhibit? Let's see. Well, uh, everybody's favorite is the, the ring around the fountain. It's just kind of, you know, some moment, summer, summer moment with, with children playing, you know, in the middle of the street with, you know, heedlessly uh, just enjoying the day. Uh, I like, I mean, I personally like that one because you don't see kids playing in the street quite like that anymore. But other ones I like are... Um, there's there's a great one of a soldier getting his shoe shined up on um, 100. Well, actually, it's not 125th Street. We figured out it's actually a, probably 110th Street in Lexington. Um, there's another great one of the Third Avenue L taken from Fulton Street Station, looking downtown through the towers of Lower Manhattan, and you see this little train snaking in between. And that just kind of speaks to uh, the monumentality of the city. I love, of course, the Sixth Avenue panel, which we spoke of, um, which interestingly was shown at the Brussels World Fair in 1958 in the U.S. Pavilion. So it was sort of really considered to be sort of a slice of American life. And the other one I really love is Maisie. Um, so it's, a, it's the only known picture of Maisie Phillips, who was in some, sometimes called St. Maisie. She owned a movie theater downtown, and she, would, um, uh, she was called Maisie Queen of the Bowery. And she um, would get, hand out dimes to the Bowery bums, and she'd let them come in her theater and sleep and that sort of thing. So she's kind of a legendary New Yorker, and there's a wonderful character picture of her. In, in the show, and, and she was she was made famous by uh, Joseph Mitchell wrote in, wrote a, a story for the New Yorker for her in, in the late 1940s. How much interaction did he have with his subjects, the subjects in his photographs? Well, he it, often he had to have some interaction because of the, the the equipment he was using. It was a process, you know. You couldn't just snap like with a 35 millimeter camera or even a digital camera today you can snap it and keep going uh this was a process you had to set up your tripod set uh, focus your ground glass of, the, of your box camera and even with the speed graphic um as big and bulky cameras even if even if it was a little faster there still had to be some interaction for the most part do either of you know the nonchalant story? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's, it's adorable. So he's down near um, Fulton Fish Market, and there are a bunch of guys, um, you know, kids, probably about 11 or 12. And um, the, um, he sets up his camera to take a picture, and one of, the, one of the, the head honcho of the kids said, okay, everybody, look nonchalant, or act nonchalant. And uh, it's a wonderful picture. So anyway, they, and they were looking pretty nonchalant. If you could ask Todd Webb a question, Sean, what would it be? Boy, um, let's see. Actually, I, what I what I would ask him is, I would ask Todd, um, how how the years in New York affected the rest of his career as a photography in his own words. Um, I know that uh, um, he he valued them and and gave them much credit, but I'm curious personally how um, the pictures he made. At, at that early time, informed or influenced what what he did for the rest of his life. Betsy, did he ever talk about that? 
Not really, um, but you, you, you can sort of see it if you look at the, and then Sean's very familiar with the rest of his work, so the next big body of work is in Paris. Mm-hmm. And one of the, um, still working with the same format cameras, and he had known a lot about Ajay, who, um, because he was great friends with Bernice Abbott, and so he had sort of learned about that. So I think he was, um, that was very much in his mind. I don't think he was following Ajay, but there's, there's a sort of a next generation Ajay in Todd. Um, so it's just, you know, very much the same because in Paris, it's the same thing. Even if there aren't people in the picture, um, there's a sense of that. Um, so those are the two most similar bodies of work. And then he, um, and this is a very little known part of his career, which we're, we're hoping to bring to the fore soon. Uh, he, in 1955, had a Guggenheim to walk across America and photograph the trails um, with the wagon trails. So the Santa Fe Trail and the Oregon Trail. And so he wanted to walk because he wanted to go sort of at the same pace that they were going. So his was very much looking back a bit at what had gone on in recording history. And there's a beautiful body of work that really nobody's seen. And the interesting thing about that is that Robert Frank had his Guggenheim the very same year to drive across America and working with a 35 millimeter camera with his family in the car and, of course, that amazing body of work is the Americans. So we're hoping that we can um, sort of do something that will c- compare and contrast that. Um, and so that body of work is, is, you know, it's more open. It's the West. Um, and then um, his next really major body of work is when he moved to 1960 to um, Santa Fe and um, because he was great friends with O'Keefe. And in fact, on his 55 walk across America, he stopped in to visit her and ended up staying for about three weeks and ended up buying a moped or a um, Vespa from um, one of her friends. And so he went the rest of the way in a Vespa. But in any event, they really cemented their friendship. And so in 1960 or 61, Lucille and Todd moved out to Santa Fe. And they were with O'Keefe a lot um, on the weekends and Abiquiu and Ghost Ranch. And so the, the next body of his work are really portraits of her and, and those environs. Um, and, and during that time, he was also traveling down to Mexico. So now, I think it, older in his career, there's just a little bit more of a softness, a little bit more of a romanticism. But um, so that's, you know, the trajectory is, is told in his photographs, I guess. Yeah. That said, how did he talk about New York City? What would he tell you when he oh. talked about his time here? Just It just was the most, I mean, well, his journal really says it all, but... Um, it just was the most um, vibrant time of his life. It was just happiest. I mean, well, I mean, I guess he was happiest when he met his wife. But, I mean, the, you know, he was struggling early on, a little bit wondering whether he was really going to make it here, um, down to his last, you know, 10 cents often. And, but just, I don't think he, I just think he realized what an incredible situation he was, so... Sean, what did you think about when you put the exhibit together in terms of how to organize it and set it all up? Um, well, um, the, the organization kind of falls along um, locations within the city, but it opens with a series of photographs he did called Welcome Home. These are, uh, as he was himself a returning veteran, uh, these are welcome home signs in the in storefront windows and in uh, doorways at, of people's homes of uh, signs welcoming soldiers home. So that was kind of his um, um, symbolic of his return of his return from the war and his entry into photography in New York City. Um, as we mentioned, he lived on on, on 123rd in Amsterdam, and he photographed quite a bit along. Um, 
125th Street, so there's a section related to that. Uh, the Third Avenue, um, his great subject. And, and it's worth noting that he lived on the um, west side of, you know, the west side of the city at 100, near 125th Street. So he would actually take the streetcar along 125th Street, get on the Third Avenue L, and go downtown. And there he could see, visit Stieglitz, or he could continue down and make pictures at the Lower East Side. So it, it kind of follows the routes he might have traveled. And then it closes with... Um, really with um, some of his last pictures made in New York when he was living at St. Luke's in Greenwich Village. You also have a section for friends and colleagues. Yeah, that's, I think it was really important, and especially if you... If you the, the gallery is filled with quotes from, from his journals, and, um, and, and with a number of photographs, we include uh, journal entries where he's talking about a specific subject or specific people, in this case, the friends and colleagues. Um, I think his relationship with a, the, a number of these photographers, uh, while maybe it didn't influence the actual pictures he took, it I think it influenced his his um, approach to photography in general and his attitude about the power of photography, and and gave him encouragement that he could actually be an accomplished. Uh, uh, picture maker. So it was really important to include them and, and their importance in his life in the exhibition. Betsy, you've mentioned that he was a very humble man. Did he ever see himself as a success? Did he realize that he was a successful photographer? Yes, absolutely. He definitely felt he was successful. And um, he, um, it's, it's really just the trajectory of partially where he, where he lived in the 70s and having um, various situations where when that market was taking off he wasn't really involved properly with a, a gallery so he sort of missed a little bit of that moment um, but he absolutely felt that he was a success and very happy with his life yeah. Sean you referenced the signs the signs for returning soldiers it appears that he was pretty attracted to signs in general yeah um, I mean it could be it commercial signage storefront signage uh, um, handwritten notes and windows. Uh, um, again, I think it goes back to his interest in the, in, in the way people communicate, uh, the way people um, show their humanity in, in the things they leave behind, the things that they, they put out there for the world to see. Um, and uh, be it a political poster, um, an ad for a rodeo, you know, just the, the signs of life in the city, I think, uh, attracted him, and, and he photographed them over and over again. What are you hoping visitors to this exhibit take away? Well, uh, two things, really. I think uh, they get a vision of New York in, post -war, in the post-war era, um, and two, they understand... Uh, the importance of what Todd Webb was doing here in the city in the in the 1940s through the 60 through 1960 um, to see uh, the work of uh, I think um, a remarkable photographer who deserves more attention. How about you, Betsy? What do you hope people take away? The love. I mean, I think that, that a lot of people will have be sort of very nostalgic. I see that. So the people who were alive during this time will be just thrilled to see the New York that they remember. And then I hope that the people who were not, you know, get to understand, you know, more of the, the feeling and history of their city. So, yeah. Now you also have a book coming out. Is we that a book? We do. Unfortunately, you know how these things work. It's a little bit late, but we have a book um, called I See a City, which was the original um, title of Todd's show in 1946. 
and it's being published by Thames and Hudson, and it'll be out in early November. And there's an essay by Sean Corcoran, <laughs> and also an essay um, by Daniel Okrent, who um, is best known recently for his um, book on prohibition called Last Call. So he, and he was a former editor at the Times and at, um, at Time magazine, um, is a great historian. And so he really, he really got the, the feeling of Todd. And so it's sort of more capturing, his essay captures sort of the, the ethos of the time. So it's a great combination. And it'll have about 120 images. So it'll be a really wonderful. Um, it's, it, it, it overlaps with the show by, I'd say, 75%, but there's some photographs in the book that are not in the show and vice versa. So it'll, it'll be a nice um, companion. How many photos uh, in this exhibit total? Um, I think there's 130, almost 135 photographs. Was it hard to come <laughs> yeah, down to 135? Yeah, you know, the, the original show here at the museum had something like almost two, 200. Almost 200. Um, so, uh, yeah, we had a hard time editing down uh, to trying to get to the real essence of, of what he was up to here in the city. Betsy, thanks so much. Yes, thanks. Sean, thank you. Real pleasure, thank you. Sean Corcoran is the curator of A City Scene, Todd Webb's post-war New York, 1945 to 1960. It's on display at the City Museum of New York through September 4th. We also heard from Betsy Evans-Hunt, who was a friend of the late photographer Todd Webb. She now runs the Todd Webb Archive. This is Cityscape. I'm George Borarki. Now on to another photographer in history that found inspiration on the streets of New York City, Staten Island native Alice Austin. She was one of the nation's earliest and most prolific female photographers. Joining me now on the phone is Janice Monger. She's the executive director of the Alice Austin House on Staten Island. Janice, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. You're welcome. I'm pleased to be here talking with you. So who was Alice Austin? Well, that's a complicated question. Alice Austin was really an incredible woman and an early American street photographer, really. She was one of the first women that went outside the confines of the studio and out onto the streets to shoot photographs in the Victorian era. So she was really a woman ahead of her time in a lot of different ways. Uh, She grew up in a pretty interesting household, and she forged her own path um, at a time when there were a lot of constraints for women in the Victorian era. Um, But she was given a camera very early on at around age 10 by one of her uncles, and she pursued photography very seriously and was quite accomplished at a fairly early age. Essentially, Um, she was self-taught, right, Janice? Um, so her uncle Oswald um, was a sea captain and um, had his route as the Orient and uh, brought back a camera for Alice to use. So he did have some knowledge. And then her other uncle, uh, Peter, was a chemist. So um, it's presumed that, you know, he was able to help with some of the chemical processes in the dark room. But, yeah, she was really self-taught. She didn't attend schooling um, for the photography. And she pursued it very, very seriously um, with her photographs, we have envelopes for the glass plate negatives that um, she took detailed notes on. So she really recorded the time of day, the weather, the lens she was using, the exposure time. So she she took the technical craft very seriously. What did she photograph primarily? So there's a wide range of her photographs. First of all, she was very prolific. She took more than 7,000 photos um, in her lifetime. 
Uh, and a lot of those were glass plate negative um, film. And then in, she moved into film. Uh, but she started off, you know, really with what she knew, which was photographing her family and her friends and her home. And her home is now the Alice Austin House Museum. And it itself is architecturally very interesting and has a long history dating back to a one-room Dutch farmhouse from around 1690, and in its present form is a Victorian Gothic cottage. So it's very beautiful waterfront grounds at the entrance um, to New York Harbor. So, you know, even that venue offered her a lot to photograph. So she really started out with what she knew, but then she photographed, you know, around Staten Island. She photographed early tennis playing. Um, tennis was actually introduced to the United States through Staten Island, and so she played tennis very, very early on in the sports history in the United States and tried to capture that motion. And then later, she really, um, she would take her bicycle, she also was an early women's bicyclist, and take the ferry into Manhattan, and she took photographs of immigrants and working-class people on the streets of Manhattan. She really was uh, sort of an early photojournalist before that really was a term, but she captured a lot of events, um, a crave for Dewey and um, the aftermath of fire in Hoboken. So she really um, was quite adventurous in, in what she captured. I guess in many ways, too, she was capturing the humans of New York long before the humans of New York was a project, right? She was capturing exactly. street life, real you people. Could definitely say that. A hundred years ago, um, she was she was photographing humans of New York. Um, that included, um, you know, shoeshine boys and newspaper sellers and organ grinders and um, ragmen and, you know, every kind of walk of life. And she was doing this as sort of a privileged uh, a Victorian woman. Um, the other major series that she did was over the course of about 10 years, she documented the quarantine stations that were on Hoffman and Swinburne Islands, which are two islands off of the shore of Staten Island, where, uh, you know, immigrants entering the U.S. were held if they were suspected of having contagious disease. And she was asked by the public health service doctor to go and, and document that, and then she continued that work. So it was sort of risky work for her, um, but, you know, it was a project that she felt was very important, and she documented long-term. What do you want people to learn most from the Alice Austin story and her work? There's a lot of facets of why she's important and that we try to really talk about at the Alice Austin House and have her be a model for people today. There's a lot of themes that are still important and relevant today. And uh, those are, one, that she was, again, a woman ahead of her time and really forged her own path when it was against what society expected of women. She was also the first woman on Staten Island to own a car. <laughs> yeah, that's what is said. And, um, you know, I've, we've been looking for the precise documentation of that, but there were a lot of interviews done um, in her lifetime. So, yeah, she was um, the earliest known female to own a car on Staten Island, and she had a 1909 Franklin, 
and apparently she knew how to fix a tire and such, too. She also drove an ambulance um, with a volunteer ambulance driver um, during World War I. Um, she played the banjo. She founded the Staten Island Garden Club that still exists today over 100 years later. Um, she had a friend that had a gym um, so she was, you know, very, very active, um, as well as playing tennis that I mentioned before. And um, she took some photographs that served as the illustrations for her friend Maria Ward's book called Bicycling for Ladies that was published in 1896 and taught women how to ride and fix a bicycle. Um, so... You know, I would say she's an early feminist in the way that she lived her life, um, although she wasn't really politically active in, in that way. If you had the opportunity, Janice, to ask Alice Austin one question, what would that question be? I would want to know, how hard was it to do what you did? How hard was it to pursue photography and make choices that were different from what society expected. And I'd be very curious to answer to that. Janice, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Janice Monger is the executive director of the Alice Austin House on Staten Island. More information at aliceaustin.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. My thanks to producers Claire Drake and Zach Salas. I'm George Boldarki. Thanks so much for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.